The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hello, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thank you for joining me on Psych Up Live. Today we're going to be asking the question, what does it feel like to be a mom? Which moms are most stressed? We're going to be talking about the surprising findings of a recent study that reports it's not the moms of infants and it's not the moms of teens, but the moms of middle school children that are the most stressed of all. With us today is the lead author of that study, Dr. Sonia Luther, who is going to give us an insider's understanding of the rationale for the study, the findings, and some suggestions and strategies for moms. Dr. Luther is Foundation Professor of Psychology at Arizona State University and Professor Emeritor at Columbia University's Teacher College. Her recent research is focused on motherhood, with exploration of factors that best help mothers negotiate the challenges of this life-transforming role and foster their resilience. She is recipient of many awards and is a fellow of the American Association for Psychological Science. She's also a fellow of two of the divisions of the American Psychological Association, the Division of Developmental Psych and the Society for Child and Family Policy and Practice. Dr. Sonia Luther, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you so much. Well, why don't we start, Dr. Luther, by sharing with our listeners the rationale for this study, who was included, and what did you explore? Right. So uh, this study actually had its roots uh, probably about 15, 20 years ago uh, when we started doing research with kids in upper middle class families. This was a program of research that started quite by accident. I was looking for a comparison group for my ongoing work with low-income inner-city adolescents and uh, stumbled upon this particular sample as a, as a comparison group and essentially found that uh, our kids, upper-middle-class, white-collar professional families, uh, our kids, uh, reflected uh, higher levels of uh, problems, particularly substance use, drug and alcohol use, but also depression and anxiety as mm. compared to uh, 
their inner city counterparts and national norms. So that was uh, probably about 20, 30 years ago, uh, no, 20 years ago. And subsequently, we followed uh, several other samples of the same demographic and basically replicated the findings. Now, there was an interesting twist here, which is that girls in particular seem to be... uh, troubled across multiple domains so that they were showing elevations not just in what we think of as the typically female problems of depression and anxiety, but also the more typically male problems of delinquency and drug and alcohol use. Mm. So so that was my first, uh, the, the first time I started getting a little concerned. So what's going on with these young women? And in the back of my mind was this question, uh, what are they seeing in us as their their mothers and their role models? Might there be something about how we are leading our lives? In particular, this quest for effortless perfectionism, you know, mm, right. trying to do everything across so many different areas and trying to do it all in, a, in the most exemplary fashion possible. So uh, that was my first question. Might there be something that they're seeing uh, unconsciously or otherwise in how we're really, and are, are they seeing us as troubled or are we troubled? Right. And, and that was the second question. You see, developmental psychologists have looked at moms and dads for decades, uh, years in terms of what we do for our kids, what we don't do, what we should do, what we should not do, but have never really asked this question, what does it feel like to be a mother? Mm-hmm. What is the phenomenological experience of motherhood, which if you stop and think about it, is, is, is pretty confounding, given that this is really a life-transforming role. Anyone mm-hmm. who's a mother knows that. So uh, that was my second uh, uh, impetus, if you will, to mm-hmm. understand what it feels like to be a mother, not in terms of what we should do, what we shouldn't do, but how does it, how does it feel? And what, most importantly, as you said in your introduction, most importantly, what is it that helps us to uh, traverse with some uh, grace and equanimity of spirit the, this decades-long and very challenging uh, life role that is called motherhood? Mm-hmm. And in your study, in this particular study, you had um, a large number of um, participants, over 2,000, And so you were able to really compare mothers of infants, mothers of preschoolers, mothers of this middle school group, right up to young adults. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. And uh, while you mentioned the the issue of the large number of moms who participated, I should say that I was surprised at the enthusiasm with which women did this. You see, we had no incentives. Typically, when we do research, there's some incentive, usually like a a small token of... You know, we had no incentives and and there was an open space for women to offer their reactions when the survey was done. And we often heard this recurring theme. My goodness, that was long. The survey was long, but it was it was it was such a relief to be thinking about myself and what I want and what my hopes and dreams are. Thank goodness somebody has thought to ask me about this. Ask so, us about this. So interesting because it's a clue to perhaps this group doesn't have much time, nor do they feel free to think about themselves. 
both very, very valid points. Uh, not much time because lives are very busy, not just our own lives as uh, uh, some of us professional moms or some of us stay-at-home moms, but but just ferrying the kids around with them. It starts when they're uh, little, but certainly by the time you get to middle school and, uh, and high school, just rushing around with all the uh, various activities that our children are immersed in leaves almost no time for ourselves. And, and the second point you make, you know, we're complicit in this to some degree, and I see that with no blame at all, just sheer acknowledgement. I think we do put ourselves at the very back of the very backmost burner so that, it, you know, when you stop and say, well, how, what do you do to feel taken care of? Or what is it that fills you up? Or what... Uh, most moms will say, you know what, I don't even think about that. I don't have the time and I I don't prioritize it. So part of what I've been sort of pushing since we published this research and since we started looking into these issues is we as mothers do need to start prioritizing this, are being taken care of. And note that I'm not saying prioritize taking care of ourselves. No, I'm not adding one more thing to our list. I'm saying prioritize being taken care of. Yes. So let me ask you this, because I'm wondering if our listeners are wondering, when you found globally, we're saying the mothers of the middle school group were the most stressed, what variables did you use? When you say stressed, what did you study that made you realize, wait a minute, look at this group? Uh, So... Yes, so we had multiple uh, measures of both positive and negative, if you will, adjustments. So uh, we have things like satisfaction with life and satisfaction with marriage, feelings of competence and satisfaction as a parent. Uh, And on the flip side, we had feelings of depression, stress, uh, uh, parenting stress, emptiness, uh, loneliness, and 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 dissatisfaction with relationships. So, this was the fascinating thing. You know, if it is, if you find uh, an association with one or two variables, yeah, that that's one thing. But just the sheer consistency with which we saw the same pattern of the peak of problems across these various domains, being at middle school and the valley, if you will, at the at the, at the V. Uh, in terms of well-being, being, again, moms of middle schoolers, it was uh, among the most consistent findings that I've ever seen in my 30 years of doing research. That's amazing. That's what makes it so important. I want to just clarify, it didn't matter if your middle school child was male or female. Is that right? Absolutely. We did look at that, and and I must confess, in all honesty, I had thought that we would find uh, more uh, trouble, if you will, with moms of daughters around adolescents especially, but that was not the case. Uh, it seems to be that just the sheer stress of what's involved being a middle schooler and therefore a mom of a middle schooler, that supersedes the child's gender. Interesting. Now, before we go on to even look closer at this age group, Dr. Luther, how about dads? Are they, do you think, do they enter into this picture as being also stressed, do you imagine? I'm sure if there were a parallel study on dads that we would find similar trends. 
I would venture to say, with them also showing the most stress uh, at middle school. In fact, you know, on social media, when people have read about the story, a lot of dads have actually commented and, commented and said, this was the absolutely worst time for me as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, some people have asked me, well, do you think moms are more affected than our dads? And at some level, the answer is quite possibly yes, for a couple of reasons. One is because in these families, uh, in our families, as in most, moms are typically the primary caregivers, which means they're typically the uh, first responders, if you will, to kids' uh, stress and distress. So they're the first ones to receive it and and just have to deal with it. And the second thing is, actually, research has shown that moms, in general, are more reactive to distress, for example, to uh, cries of infants, that the reactions are stronger among moms than than dads. So for a couple of reasons, well, the third factor is that uh, we as mothers tend to be, uh, tend to identify very strongly with that uh, role of motherhood. Mm -hmm. Uh, for a number of reasons, uh, when your child is going through this much stress and confusion and, and possibly pain, it does tend to preoccupy and upset us as mothers, possibly more so than it does uh, fathers. Actually, and that is where I have seen some of the marital distress come in, Dr. Luther, because the mother is perhaps extremely stressed that the middle school child doesn't have as many friends as either the child wants or she may think the child wants. And she begins to talk about nothing else with the father, but what are we going to be doing about this? What are we going to be doing? And if he has a sort of soft landing about let's just see how it goes she's feeling she's not being listened to so I think when you said they're the first responders they are and sometimes it goes without saying their stress is so high by the time they share it with dad that's a recipe for marital distress it gets to be passed forward so to speak it does, you know, but there's, there's two ways of looking at this, there are a couple of ways of looking at this um Sometimes, I, 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 I agree with you, sometimes we, and you notice I keep saying we, why do I keep saying we? Because I'm a mom myself. Right, I, right, all of us, yes. Right, so my, my, my son is now 26, my daughter is 22, Nick and Nina. So I have lived through, uh, personally, uh, the middle school adolescent uh, stages and bring to what are my comments to you, my reactions to you, are as much at some level uh, from the science that I've done over all these decades and uh, my own experiences as a mom. So mm-hmm. what I'm going to say is that sometimes we, we do overreact, right? Uh, some, because because the instinct is so primal, the instinct is so strong to take care of our children that uh, there are times when their hurt is felt by them less acutely and intensely than it, than it is felt by us as their mothers. Absolutely, absolutely. Right? When yeah. they say when they say the mother is as uh, is as happy as her most unhappy child, it's true. I, I'd even go one step further. Sometimes a mother is more concerned, yes. upset than her more uh, than her least happy child because yes. still, a mom feels her child's pain so very acutely. Uh, on average, most most of the time, so that is one of the issues about moms and their and, and what they and their responses and preoccupation with kids' distress. But you know, it's interesting when you say to me that 
upsets the marital card, if you will, that um, marriages. In truth, this really should be something that both parents are. Yes. You know, so Mm -hmm. the part of me is saying uh, the ideal situation really would be if if, uh, you as a mother said, my goodness, I am beside myself with concern because uh, she is, seems depressed or has no friends or is being left out and, and your spouse is patient and or partner is patient and talks it through with you like, yes. right, let's be rational, let's look at this uh, as a decision tree. I mean, is, so this, especially when you're talking about this, this time of enormous change, puberty and middle school, it is more critical than ever for moms to have a very, very strong support system, uh, preferably with their spouses and partners talking with them, but always, always having a support system of uh, other moms, sisters who are going through similar things, who can be what I call your advisory committee and talk you through uh, issues, am I overreacting or should I be more stern about this or am I being too lenient? What kind of limit should I set and so on? You cannot, you simply cannot do this alone. I mean, you can, but A, it's going to be a ghastly, even more ghastly task than it already is. Okay. And, and and B, there's going to be more suffering for everyone involved. It takes a village for the child. It takes a village for the mom. I think it's true. We're going to take a brief break. And when we come back, let's talk about um, this age in and of itself. Because I think what you just said is so crucial. When moms and dads know what is realistic to expect and the inevitable challenges for that group that is no longer in the elementary school and is now bridging the adolescent uh, world, it's a big one for them. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We've been speaking with Dr. Sonia Luther. She's the lead author of the recent study that found that middle school moms are the most stressed of all. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you're seeking more confidence, it is time to feel good naked. Each week, host La Redmond and her guest experts are here to help you be you. In order to truly be successful and happy, you need self-confidence, self-love, and self-respect. Feel Good Naked Radio will teach you how to embrace these qualities and make your life more fulfilling and meaningful. Listen live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be proud of who you really are from the inside out. Are you a pet parent? If so, you'll want to stay up to date on the latest tech gadgets and advances for your canine or feline friend. With a ton of apps, websites, tech toys, and more, you'll want to be in the know when it comes to the real treasures and the duds. For that information, listen for Pet Lover Geek with host Lorian Clemens. We test and discuss what's hot and what's not on the pet front, so you'll be better informed. Tune in Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Are you finding your frequency? 
It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Sonia Luther and we're talking about why is it that middle school moms are most stressed? And what we said we're going to come back and talk about is what are the realistic challenges that tweens, as we call them, um, that group between 9 and 12, and doc, uh, Dr. Luther will correct me, um, what is it these young people deal with? They're Often they're leaving an elementary school for a middle school. Often they're not with the same teacher every day. Um, what do they bring home? What do they face? What would you say about these tweens, Sonia? Uh, so the first I should say the age group is 12 to 14. So sixth grade is where they start middle school, and that's, uh, I guess, 12 on average. Mm-hmm. Uh, through eighth grade, which is 14 on average. Okay. What do these kids bring? It's almost like, <laughs> so what, what do they not bring? What is not okay. happening at this age? I mean, you start with physical changes and, and hormonal changes, uh, which bring mood swings, which bring uh, changes in, in your body. So that kids are gangly and awkward with braces, and I hate how I look, and I my zits, and so on. So there's, this is just, we're just beginning with the, all the physical changes that are happening. Then there is a separation from peer, uh, from parents, the individ, what we call individuation. Uh, kids starting to feel like I need to be my own person and not this my mom's baby or my dad's baby. Uh, so they st- start to try and establish this independence while at the same time feeling the dependence as they as they are. They are still children feeling the neediness. So there's this push-pull with mm-hmm. parents um, and confusion around that. Then there's this horrendously important uh, dimension for them, which is uh, popularity with peers. They are all so invested in, I have to be with the popular group or what's going to make me popular or uh, not be one of the rejects, uh, so to speak. And what happens with this popularity, of course, if you are left out, your heart is broken. The, the kids react uh, very strongly when they feel like they're on the fringes and being excluded. Um, and on the flip side, in trying to be included, oftentimes in, in, in this demographic, we have seen uh, efforts to be in the popular group sometimes go hand in hand with testing limits. 
you know, mm-hmm. like being seen as someone who has the guts to be bucking the system, which mm-hmm. means experimenting with drugs and alcohol and, and sex and various rule-breaking behaviors. So there's another whole realm. We talked about body image and body mm-hmm. changes. We talked about separating from parents. And we've got this enormous preoccupation with uh, popularity peers and associated with that. Uh, testing limits and um, experimenting with these uh, with drugs and alcohol and such, and then and as you mentioned, the issue of competition. You see, as you, you they went to an elementary school typically with one teacher throughout the day. From this, they go into these huge schools where they one move from one classroom to the other, one teacher to the other. It's, it's much more impersonal, just at a time when they need more. Uh, close right. adult support. We, mm-hmm. we, our system is set up that we're throwing them into what is uh, what my colleague Jackie Eccles calls it. It's a developmental mismatch. The, mm-hmm. the school right? Um, and then competition becomes so much more public, right? So this is the age when um, kids start being tracked more seriously into the advanced reading group and uh, advanced math group and such and they're told well you're going to get into jazz band a as opposed to jazz band b that's right (laughs) you're going to be the starting team of basketball or debate as opposed to not so this is the beginning of that again that very very public uh, you're you're on display and uh, as 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 uh, at this age, was they're developing their sense of identity? Who am I? What am I? To be beset with this question of Am I good enough? Or am I failing? Or am I making the 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 top groups and anything or everything or most things can become again enormously troubling for them. Mm. So we see that based on the the um the field as you just described it so if i'm a mom i might be thinking so if she is upset about not being invited to the sleepover do i intervene if i have a son who somehow is not playing the sports that all the kids he was friends with in elementary school are now playing he he feels without friends. So how much should I be involved? I'm certainly concerned if I'm the mom of kids of this type. Um, Decisions on all the issues, such as the two examples that you presented, unfortunately, I wish I could say this with uh, more conclusiveness, unfortunately, really do depend on uh, uh, situation by situation. What I would start with is absolutely talk to the child. So would it be helpful, do you think, if uh, we had a discussion about the sleepover and what's going on and who are the girls involved, who are the kids involved and what might be going on? Can I help in any way? Would it, uh, maybe we can have kids over, would that help? Now, realizing that they can get pretty explosive sometimes, you know, you come with the best of intentions, say, may I do this or can I help like that? And there'll be times when they'll say, all right, but much of the time you might get a, you know, a sort of a, um, snatch reaction like, mom, you don't know what you're talking about. Leave me alone. Right, uh, right. And, you know, what I would say, Suzanne, to moms uh, at this age is be prepared to be a little bit of a punching bag. Uh, 
be prepared to absorb it. They don't really mean it. Of course, they love you. They adore you. They want to be there. They, they're very much still children. They need you. Uh, it is you set the limits and say there are certain things that I will not stand for your saying or tones that you will use with me or with other adults. But beyond that, be prepared for the fact that they are their hormones are going nuts and uh, and they are very confused. So a little mm-hmm. slack there. At least certainly don't take it personally. What a great thing to say, because very often people say, so he or she's like a Jekyll or Hyde. At one point, she's curled up with me watching a movie, and then she's not talking to me because she's upset about school, or she's just told me, as you suggest, you have the wrong clothes, you don't know anything, you don't even understand the Facebook or the Instagram. Mm -hmm. So the other thing is that the mom... And as a mom who I think at times was somewhat overreactive, sometimes children need to tell you about it. And then they're like, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I had sons. So I used to call them CIA agents, meaning they don't want to talk about it. We mostly talked in the car. Mm -hmm. The car is a great place to talk. And I think at times I didn't realize that particularly with my younger son, he really was okay with it. He didn't want to talk anymore about it. But if I went on about it, I created more of the problem because I sent the message, you should be more worried or you should not let this go. And I think as moms, we try so hard, but sometimes we do overstep. Uh, again, you know, this is a very astute observation. Uh, there's another point that, you're, that you have made, which is, Temperamentally, our kids can differ quite a bit. And as mothers, we need to learn and develop sensitivity to what is going to be the most appealing uh, way of communicating with each of our children. Uh, Both of mine, like both of yours, they're very different in terms of how much they wanted to talk about particular events, circumstances, philosophize about about life. Mm -hmm. Um, how quickly or how late, you know, and how much depth they want. They're both quite different. So it did take me a while to sort of try and, and I'm not sure I'm still um, quite in pace with them as I maybe should, should or could be, but I, I certainly I did work at saying, right, my daughter will take a little, she will process a little more and then perhaps mm-hmm. want to talk about it. Whereas my mm-hmm. son, who's the older, will is much more likely to, right after what's going on, is to want to, you know, mullet over so you right. make a very important point it's not just our in apps in absolute terms am i overreacting it's really darling is this something that is working well for you with your preferred ways of uh dealing with and processing what's going on mm. the other thing that you said i think that was so crucial in terms of the amount that these youngsters are dealing with is there's not necessarily going to be a happy story or a happy mood or affect every day so that when moms start to feel guilty and you talked about this group pointing out they didn't feel successful, their life satisfaction as being a great mom was really compromised by the fact that These were no longer happy little five-year-olds with the backpack for the first time. It is complicated for them. So understanding that the day might start great and they might come home miserable isn't necessarily implying that you're not a good mom. Oh, gosh, it absolutely is not, you know. I, I, I get it when we, we, I said this a little while ago. What is it that is not changing or is not stressful at this age? 
pretty right. much everything is. And I think back to, again, my, my own experience in middle school and watching my, my daughter who played field hockey, sitting on the sidelines during while the senior kids were practicing, doing homework there. Then they've got, you know, drum, she had drum practice and then performance. I mean, there was not a spare second. Not yes. to mention the stress or everybody is telling you, uh, you better make it into X and Y activity or team or whatever, because this is all going to matter for college acceptance, which is a constant reverberating theme all around. So the peers, the homework and all the AP classes, then they start to take the advanced classes. So where is the room for happiness? Where is the mm. room for, where is the space for being carefree? It's interesting because when you started, you talked about it seemed surprising, but it becomes more realistic in terms of the burdens and expectations that the more affluent, affluent children may have more problems than a child from a working class family who doesn't have 5,000 activities and is going home to <clears throat> maybe help the family, maybe cook a little, maybe do homework, and they may belong to things, certainly, but... Um, expectations are very hard and really add to whatever other challenges this age group is facing. Absolutely right. I have been asked this question more than once. So these challenges that today's upper middle class kids experience, isn't that true for all kids in America? I mean, like everybody gets homework and everybody has expectations. And to which my answer is, uh, no, that is not strictly speaking true. Uh, I had written an article with a couple of my students a couple of years ago, the title of which is, I can, therefore I must. Oh, yes. Mm. Uh, and, and, and basically, what the, the notion underlying that, that statement is, if something is within reach, uh, excellence and, oh, I don't know, playing the drums or being a debater or whatever, if it's within reach, all I have to do is take that extra tuition or take those extra lessons or practice a few hours more, and then I could be at the top. If it's that out of reach, I mean, if you ask me, Sonia, trained to be um, an Olympic something, and we would all laugh and say, "That's not even, you know, let's not even think about it." So, um, such, uh, so impossible. But for these children, it is all within reach, and they say, "Okay, my mom and dad are willing to pay for it. They're willing to show up. They're willing to make it happen." So, how can I not? Mm. But that then we add the parents' expectations, and I don't know if you've seen this sort of funny little movie out called Bad Moms and <clears throat> it's about middle school moms and one particular mom who revolts and doesn't go for doing the science project for the child and making sure every snack is a certain way and having the parties and pretty soon the, the message is that many of the mothers want to revolt because the children are not happy, the moms are not happy but it's an interesting statement about Pressure can just be put just so far. Some children are self-motivated, but many children feel just what you say, because I sometimes have a skewed group that come to seek help, but they've had it. They've had it. And in some ways, the parents are war-weary also. We're fighting to get someone in the gifted and talented. I mean, where are we going if the child is basically unhappy? Mm -hmm. So what you said about bad moms or coming together or changing or coming together in revolt actually is something that I have discussed. I, I talk to parent communities a lot all over the country. I present my research findings 
mostly to try and spread the message about what's going on with our children and how much do we want to push before we back off and say, no, this is too much. So there are communities, Suzanne, where people have come together and said, no, we're not going to stand for this. As an example, uh, Scarsdale High School in, in Connecticut, in, in New York, um, decided to do away with AP courses altogether. They have no... Mm. They have no advanced placement courses at, at all. Now, I'm sure some of the parents were not happy about this decision, but as a group, they got together and with the administrators and superintendent and whatnot, they, they made this decision and, and it was changed. There are other communities that say, well, parents may not yell from the sidelines at sport events, um, you know, or a particular evening is a no homework day. So the, the issue is really com- uh, parents coming together and realizing that there is something real going on here. The pressures are too many and they're insidious. And as concerned parents and educators, we do need to come together and see what we can pull back without putting our kids at a disadvantage in terms of their future prospects for college and such. Mm, it really opens up the field also for the child to feel they're entitled to choose because I have worked with the young adults who ended up in the Ivy League college and they're seeing me because they do not want to stay. Mm -hmm. They do not want to play on the varsity. They do not want to be in the tract of whether it's medicine or whatever that they, they're studying. They really want to do something else. So, you know, you sometimes see Sometimes it has to be such an extreme revolt to undo the expectations for the child or the parent. And so your idea of parents starting to intervene to lower the pressure and even the time pressure. Mm -hmm. The question of many of our middle school children as well as the high school, they are simply not sleeping enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if that were questioned in terms of how can I be performing and practicing for the play till nine at night and then start studying for Mm -hmm. the physics test. Mm -hmm. So there's so much to look at that we might be able to, as you say, pull. And when we pull the stress off the kids, we also pull the stress off the parents. Absolutely. Uh, a couple of things there is, one is, you know, I, I do tell parents, if you find your child is exhausted and actually dreading the activity more than enjoying it uh, or getting depressed and anxious, please, for heaven's sake, think about pulling back. And uh, and the second thing is, you know, you talked about kids in Ivy League. And if I'm in this Ivy League school, how can I not be, how can I pull out? Our kids need role models of young adults or even older adults who are bred and are successful and are not hanging on to Ivy League with all the pressures and all right. the work, but are do- leading very fulfilled and very, very happy, productive uh, uh, lives, taking care of their children, their families, and so on. So our kids need to understand there is an alternative. There are alternatives to this one way of being, which is get into that Ivy League school and, and then make as much money as you possibly can. Right, right. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I want to mention a, a, a situation of a, a mom friend of mine and how how it shifted. That idea of finding out actually the struggle in middle school doesn't have to stay the same. And often it doesn't stay the same. You've been listening to Psych Up Live on Voice America. We're here talking to Dr. Luther about the study that found that middle school moms are the most stressed of all. We're going to come back and talk about more about strategies, mom networking. Stay with us.
Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inter-Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. What makes a great leader? Most have a vision, one that starts beyond the resources available and continues from that point into developing a solid plan, organization, and company. Leadership issues are discussed each week on VoltCast, illuminating leadership with host Jeff Smith. Jeff has years of experience as a leader and executive coach, and his guests will bring you information that can help a team of any size. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're talking with Dr. Luther. She's the lead um, researcher on the study that found middle school moms so stressed. Um, There's two things I wanted to bring up that um, Dr. Luther is terrific in terms of um, her experience here. One is the importance of keeping your eye on the child's resilience um, and the other is how we deal with our over identifications with our children. In all, what would you say would help parents as a group, as a couple, really help themselves and help their children at this stage? Um, well, one of the first things, awareness. Awareness, or going, rewinding back to the beginning of our conversation, just thinking through and acknowledging and looking at all these different changes that are going on and understanding that because of that, the child is going to be confused and stressed and pressured, even at the best of times. And therefore, you, as I said, as first responder, you to whom the child brings all this uh, stress, you're going to be stressed as well. The other thing is to remember there is light at the end of the tunnel, right? I mean, as I said, I right. Two grown kids, and we actually like each other. We like hanging out together. <laughs> well, that's a good statement. <laughs> yes, yeah. we, we like talking to each other, and uh-huh. uh, you know. So, 
it, at that time it does feel like oh my god are we ever going to pass the, get past this and mm-hmm. feel a sense of calm live alone enjoyment in each other's presence it does happen hang tough you know one way of thinking about it is if you think back on pregnancy from when you first get pregnant to well after you're done with uh, you know nursing and this and then whatnot and your hormones start to settle down through that pretty long period where your hormones are in flux you are not a stable person and you know that you're not a stable person and your friends and family and partner knows that. Well, what we all do is say, all right, this is a phase, it'll pass, you know, as things will settle down. It's much the same at this point that, yes, there will be ups and downs and, yes, there are a lot of things for us to be vigilant about, especially around uh, experimenting with drugs and alcohol. I keep coming back to that because that is an issue that's elevated in our mm-hmm among our kids. We've shown mm-hmm. that again and again in our research. So uh, vigilance on that front is, and depression and anxiety is all very important, but don't, don't lose heart. I mean, hang tough. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. What is most important, Susanna, you asked me, is have those channels of communication open with your child. And that is obviously not something you can develop when the child turns 12. This is something that you start when they're little, um, a sense that the child, a, ch- a child's sense that she or he can trust you. Mom's there with me. She gets me. She has my back. And at the same time, mom's not a pushover. Limits are going to be set, and they're going to be explained. And I'm going to. We're going to agree upon them. And if I step up, step outside of those lines, the limits will be enforced. So this is a. These are two things that are very, very important for us as parents to be thinking about well before we get to that stage of 11, 12, and 13, when you find out that the child has, you know, had a drink or uh, done something else that is outside of curfew or adult parties where there are no adults. At that time, it's too late to start enforcing limits in a in a in a firm way or, or trying to get your communication channels open. Mm. Think well, things well ahead of time. Know that this is coming and saying, "All right, I'm going to need to have my parenting practices both on the front of affection and expressing it, and on the front of limit setting, well in place before we get to that stage." Mm. Now, one of the things that I've found um, as a mother, but I see is very helpful, is that there has to be time when everyone's offline, so to speak. And I don't necessarily mean off the computer. I mean spending time with your child when you are not saying, is everything going okay? How is this? What was that? But, you know, um, if your child is a, is a, loves playing video games, you can fight it or you can learn the game and say, teach me. I, I want to see what it is that's so intriguing here. If it, if it is a daughter who wants to um, shop or she wants to do something in particular that's wonderful, that she loves going to the beach or whatever it is, having hair blown out, sometimes where you reset the bond, Sonia, and it has nothing to do with all these expectations, gives you leverage and it gives you a safe spot to often come back to so that when your child is putting you down or saying you're unfair or that you just don't get it, somewhere you know in your heart, yeah, we, we there's a place we can go to, maybe not today, but we have clocked in meaningful time together. 
Mm-hmm. Very well said. Um, and I'm sure some of your listeners will be thinking, yeah, that's fine and dandy, but where's the time to do that? Because they are often, the kids are so so overscheduled with so much to do, but you're absolutely right. Time does need to be carved. There's no substitute for that. Time does need to be carved out and almost kept as sacrosanct as downtime that uh, you, you you spend with your kids. This this is aside from what you did there, say earlier, which is car time. And I, I could not agree right. with you more. Time in the car is always has always been something where um, it's been great for exchanges between parents and kids. And as well as well, the, your other point is, what is it the kids enjoy doing? Now, maybe enjoy going to the mall, uh, much as you might hate it. I don't particularly <laughs> enjoy going to the mall myself but at a stage when they do well you go to the mall and uh, you chat while you're there or uh, you know throwing the basketball around or a baseball around or going on a bike ride or whatever it is again that unless it's really something you can't stand the idea of which is which is fair I'm sure there's something that's a balance that both parent and child can enjoy to some degree but yes, figure out what it is that they like and you like to to some degree and prioritize that. Make sure it's a built-in time of your week. Uh, every bit as important, if not more so, than making sure you're at the practices and the games on time. Mm. The other thing that I think is important for us as parents of this group, this group's bombarded by uh, media and they are on devices uh, at least well, what is the the number five hours um, sometimes some children a day so the question is really to give them some guidance about what is safe and not safe and the message of whatever you actually are going to send out there it's out there mm-hmm. so that the whole idea of cyberbullying the invitation to let them tell you if they are in some way being tracked or in some way stalked online. It's a really important piece that I think it, it, it just doesn't happen that kids know it. They sometimes have to actually hear how you would intervene with it, how mm-hmm. you would ask them to, you know, immediately print out what's happening. I have some parents who have literally gone to the other parent, mm-hmm. which has been very effective. But so there's other other guidelines in this culture of ours, which is so media driven. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. This whole, um, I'm, somewhat, I'm reflecting on several things that you said around uh, social media. I mean, the, the bullying is, of course, a huge thing. And I think the approach that you mentioned is a wise one, assuming the other parent would be somewhat receptive. And of course, mm-hmm. with your child involved in the in the intervention. Um, you know, we, we've just got into that, studying this a little more in our own research. And one of the other big things that's, co- that's coming up is not necessarily even being bullied, but feeling less than mm-hmm. uh, in comparison to everybody else. And I suppose right. even we as adults feel that. I mean, uh, Facebook and all these social media sites, people don't post themselves at their worst or when they're struggling. Right, right. All happiest moments and brochures I call them brochures there you go so (laughs) oftentimes people are left and certainly kids are left feeling like my god she's so happy and so beautiful so it is a complicated thing but you know what for all of these things Suzanne whether it's the child being bullied or feeling down because discouraged because of friends or uh, school or sports or whatever we as moms and dads, but I'm speaking to moms right now because this is what we're talking about, our antenna have 
have to be almost like constantly a quiver, attuned yeah. to what is going on. So if you sense that your child is a little less bright-eyed and bushy-tailed or a little less communicative or sleeping a little too much or ask with love, say, my darling, I, 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 I'm sorry, I don't mean to be intrusive, I don't mean to be pushy, but I, 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 I'm worried. Are you okay? And sometimes you'll, told, you know, you'll be told, mom, leave me alone. And you leave the child alone. And then maybe if it persists, you must come back because they I can't, cannot emphasize this enough. You, may, most of us, we know our kids better than anybody else does. So if you really have this nagging sensation, either the child is depressed or is, is doing drugs and alcohol, don't give up. Ask once, ask twice and help the child understand, listen, I'm doing this because I adore you. And there's nothing more important for me than making sure that, that you are as healthy and happy and uh, as I can possibly make happen. So be with me in this and help me make that happen. Mm, it's a wonderful statement, a message for our listeners. Now, um, Dr. Luther, how would our listeners find you if they wanted to read other studies, get to your website? How could they do that? Yeah, so I have a, a website that's sonialuther.org. That's S-U-N-I-Y-A dot, uh, no, it's not dot, just Sonia Luther, S-U-N-I-Y-A-L-U-T-H-A-R. Uh, .org. And on that, you will find uh, copies of my publications, plus a lot of podcasts and interviews and media stories, which I find is not for a lot of parents is much easier to digest through those stories than is to actually read the research articles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you, I, there's, there's a lot of information on my website, which uh, I hope could be helpful to some moms. Terrific. And if if you were to leave our listeners with a take-home message, Sonia, what would it be? Take-home message is twofold. <clears throat> One is to just reiterate what I said earlier. As you're walking into parenting, think ahead of the middle school age and what is going to come and be preparing for that in the way you parent and try and parent your kids on both the affection, expression, and the limit setting. And the second very, very important thing is make sure you have your support system. Moms need to be mothered themselves. It's a very hard, challenging job. And if you're going to do it with, as I said, some sense of equanimity and grace, you need to be given to as well. So have your support system, not just your spouse. Yeah, This has to be people outside because there are too many burdens on marriage as it is. Expectations Mm -hmm. are the one. So get that support system in place and use it. Prioritize having those connections meeting with these people who are your go-to people and use them and be there for each other. It sounds wonderful. I want to thank you for coming on Psych Up Live. I think your message is not only a gift to moms, but the people that these moms love and care for. So thank you so much for both your research and the show today. It's been my pleasure talking with you, Suzanne. Thank you. I want to thank my listeners and remind you that you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast. This show will be a podcast by 6 p.m. tonight. And these podcasts can be heard on my host site, on my website, on the podcast app of your iPhone, on iTunes, under Voice America, Psych Up Live. Please remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, mostly please take care, thanks, and be listening.
Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 